Welcome to the Financial Key Podcast with Ashley Lee. I'm a millennial money coach, but you can think of me as your financially savvy Alexa. Each episode, we will uncover and discuss the keys you need on your road to financial independence. I will connect you to the answers to the questions you have and even the ones you didn't think to ask. Debt, side hustles, entrepreneurship, real estate, and investing are all topics we will discuss here. So let's jump right in because you do not want to miss the keys we're dropping in today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. It's Ashley here and today our special guest is Stephen Stack. Stephen is a financial coach that is 100% debt-free, which includes paying off a six-figure mortgage at age 32 in only three years. He also became a millionaire by the age of 31 through consistent money management and investing primarily through real estate and the stock market. These things may be impressive, and they definitely are, but it is Stephen's sincere love for God, family, and others that defines him. His approach to wealth building is holistic in nature. He believes wealth is not only what's in your bank account, but also the person you are becoming. So without further ado, let's jump right into the episode. All right. Hi, Stephen. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Excellent. So before we get started, can you just give us a quick intro about yourself? So my name is Stephen Stack. And as far as for the purposes of finance, I am 100% debt free. That actually includes uh, my home and I've also been able to amass a seven-figure net worth, uh, which that that was by the age 31, and paying off the house was at age 32. But but I'm also a person of faith as well, which I believe that's probably even more important than that. I love it. Excellent. So we are here today to talk about um, your new book. So can you give us the title and what motivated you to write this book? Yeah, so the title of the book is called Simple Money Talks, and it's based on conversations that I've had with my eight-year-old daughter about money. So in the book, I actually write out our conversations. Uh, Her name is Nia, and we just have had different things that we talked about with money. But then I also, after each conversation or story that I write about, I give key takeaways from each that are good for whether it's parents or if you've got siblings, nieces and nephews, uh, or even if you are speaking as a child to your own parents. It's a really good way to make money conversations less intimidating. Mm, I love that. And the very first thing that you open up with in the book, I wrote it down, was that love and the pursuit of it makes the world go round, not money. So can you touch on that and just kind of tell us what you meant by that? And why did you feel like that was important to open the book with? Yeah. So a, a lot of times we think that money is what makes the world go round. But as I say in the book, just to even set the foundation, 
is that I believe love is what makes the world go round because that's really what we're searching for. We, we want to be loved. We want to be accepted. And it drives us wanting to buy and, uh, and achieve and accomplish a lot of things because we ultimately want people to love us. And where, where I go in just anchoring the book is saying that let's, let's start from a place that we are already loved. and let that be the filter in how we manage our money. And then I start talking about things related specifically to money throughout the book. Excellent. I love that. So I put that on a post-it note <laughs> and I have it <laughs> nice. on my bathroom mirror because I really like that quote and I just mm. haven't heard of it before. And I think that's so true. And there's a lot of people that's sitting in debt right now for that love, that attention um, that they felt like they could buy with money or with things or trying to impress people. So I think that's so, so true. And I'm glad that you opened the book with that, with that quote. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So before we jump into it, so can you tell me how did these conversations with your daughter even happen? Was it just something that you just kind of picked up or was something that you were very intentional about, like having these money talks with her? So it it definitely was intentional that I wanted to have these conversations with my daughter. I had a let's just say I had an inkling that things could go well with me financially just from a young age of the way I thought about money coming up as a kid. And so by the time I had become a father, I wanted to have some of those conversations that, that I didn't have in that level of depth uh, when, when I was younger. So I wanted to be really intentional about it. My my parents they they talked to me about giving and about saving and living within my means, and I'm extremely thankful for that. So I wanted to add some building blocks to that of also talking about things like investing as well and income producing assets, but but also obviously talking in a way that would make it easy to understand for, for my daughter. Mm-hmm. So how, how was her, um, I guess, reception to it? Was she open to talking about money or did she even realize that you all were having a conversation? How, how was her response to the different conversations you all had? She's an extremely inquisitive young, young girl. So she very much took, took well to it. And, you know, the, the, the way that I approach those conversations isn't, hey, let's talk about rebalancing our portfolio or, <laughs> you know, let's, let's uh, look at our allocation of funds, mm-hmm. you know, th- while those things may be important, talking about it in, in simple and fun ways, whether it's playing games or, taking an everyday conversation about uh, about life and, and being able to integrate things with money 
into it because kids, they, they do understand money to some degree um, at an early age and just trying to put in some of those building blocks for potential success down the road um, as, as they get older. Excellent. So we're just a few days away from Christmas now at the time uh, that we're recording. So how has the conversations been as far as like purchasing gifts and different things like that? Or, you know, this is also the season where you can show generosity to other families and other kids who may not have um, the same amount that your daughter gets. How have you had those type of conversations during the Christmas season? Yeah, so we we talk about things around giving and wanting to be intentional to think of others Mm -hmm. as well as, of course, you know, we think about ourselves, but, but we want to make sure that we think about others in the way that we live. And we talk about, uh, the, the reasons for the Christmas season. And, and one of them very much is to be a giver. And so she understands that she very much is a kind giving young girl. And so that, that comes, it seems it comes really natural to her. Um, so we talk about that and then, uh, talk about the fact that, Hey, you know, I love you. And because I love you, I want to give good things to you. Um, doesn't necessarily mean I want to give you everything imaginable that you ask for. Um, but we'll talk about, Hey, what is it that you really want? And so that helps her with even forming things around prioritizing. Hey, what's what's the mm-hmm. the toys that I really would want, or what's the toy even that I really would want, and and working working through that. So so it's been it's been fun, especially you know the older the older uh, she gets, and and I and I have uh, other kids as well. I've got three total, but as they grow, it's it's cool to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. So do you think there's like a, like a prime age that parents should start having these, these simple money talks with their children or when did you start with Nia? So we, we would have started if, if I just say something even kind of sort of related with money mm-hmm. somewhere around like three and a half ish okay. of where she just knew what money was like, Ooh, I got money. Now it might've been like a penny or, you know, or a nickel or a dime. Um, but so, you know, we just talk a little bit about things like that, but obviously nothing deep by any stretch. Uh, so it would be just more trying to come up with songs to know what's the difference between a penny and a nickel, a dime, a quarter, things like that. But as as she would get older, you know, we would talk about concepts around like giving or having a piggy bank and just trying to figure out uh, saving money, even if it was just super duper simple of, hey, here's a place to put your money so that it's just not lying around everywhere. Um, but really, I, I would encourage anyone to just see what their understanding is and just try to speak on that level. 
because, you know, all kids are going to be different too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So what about for the parent who may not feel like they've done the best with their finances, so they don't necessarily feel qualified to speak to their kids about money? What would you say to that parent? So you actually have an amazing opportunity and you may say, oh man, what do you, what do you mean? Stephen, tell, tell me, tell me what's, what's this opportunity? What I would say is you have an opportunity to tell them about some of the mistakes you may have made or uh, things that you didn't know that you now know. So they don't have to repeat the same mistakes. And it actually can be a great, not only learning experience, but bonding experience because sometimes, you know, our kids, they don't, they don't think we mess up. And sometimes we may want to shield them from our mess ups, but I would say it's even better to let them know, Hey, I don't know everything. And I've made, I've made mistakes and it, it just humanizes us to, mm-hmm. to our kids to know, Hey, we don't have all our stuff together. Cause the reality is we don't. So true. And it's kind of like we put up that, and I'm saying we, not that I'm a parent, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's definitely easy to want to put up that facade that you have it together. You have it figured out um, mainly just so your kids don't worry, you know, that there's anything uh-huh any large issues going on. So I can definitely understand why that would be easy to do. Um, can you talk about a time where you were able to kind of show Nia through a mistake that you made? Like, hey, this is the mistake that I made and this is how I, I course corrected or how I fixed it. So I would I would say just trying to talk to her of her, her favorite thing is hearing stories about me when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And so like I've, I've talked to her about uh, situations where maybe I lost some money, like just, just straight up, like someone gave me money and I misplaced it. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and how sad I was that, you know, I didn't, I didn't have, have the money. And she was like, Oh, you got to be more responsible. You, you know what I mean? Right. Like you need to get it together. You know and I'm like? Yeah, you're right. I need to give my life. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, it, it, but you can see kind of the fun even in, in doing that of just saying, Hey, you know, so I'm in, in that case, you know, that, and that's like kind of a silly example, but that can be one of, Hey, so this is why we have the piggy bank, like as a place to put our money versus just a random spot where we may or may not be able to find it again or, or even lose it or someone picks it up and, and takes it even, you know, if we just leave it outside mm-hmm. somewhere. Um, so it, it it definitely helps with the connection. Excellent. And I love the illustration when you uh, mentioned how it can be very lighthearted and fun. It made me think of in the book, the Monopoly illustration that you use. Can you speak on that a little bit? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that that Monopoly story, that's actually what gave me the uh, it's what gave me the idea to write the book or the inspiration to write the book. Mm -hmm. And 
because I know you've read it, you know that moment in the game where we're playing where she literally was responding like an adult in money trouble. Mm -hmm. And I can remember clearly sitting down at the table with her, the games spread out and I'm looking at her and though she's in the single digits, like she looked like she was like 37 dealing with major money problems. Right. Just stressed out. And so yeah, that's what gave me the inspiration to actually write the book. But yeah, even in the Monopoly with that story, just using something like a game that has a lot of similarities to uh financial stewardship or real life money uh issues it it was a fun way to be able to broach that topic where we're playing a game but she's really learning Mm -hmm. about some really actually pretty deep concepts around money but you know she's only eight years old at that time Mm -hmm. so so i have a question so after she you know learned the lesson from the first time you all played does she play monopoly a little bit different Oh yeah. Now does she okay? Oh yeah. So she got the lesson. <laughs> oh yeah. She's definitely got the lesson. And uh like she she could probably be a fill-in on the TV show Shark Tank now. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? For, she's good. She's right, good. right. She's she's good. Like I, I have to to beat her, you know, if mm-hmm. we're playing Monopoly now. She's she's pretty mm-hmm. good. So you don't take it easy on her anymore now that she now that no. she gets it. <laughs> no, no, yeah, it's, it's she she she's got a pretty good idea of what she's doing with the game. Yeah, mm-hmm. excellent, that's good. So just to switch, just to pivot a little bit on you for, and I read your your bio at the beginning of the episode, and it's beyond impressive. So can you tell me what was your money education growing up? So for me, it was. I knew about saving. Mm-hmm. I knew about the idea of not spending more than what you make or living within your means. And and I knew to consider others, to be generous to others. And that was about the depths of it. Um, my my mom and dad, they at least they at least knew about bank CDs or certificates of deposit where you can lock in money for a predetermined amount of time. It could be 12 months or 60 months or anything in between. And you get a certain interest rate that you get paid for locking in that CD. It's FDIC insured, uh, meaning, you know, up to a quarter million dollars, the, the bank is backed by the federal government to uh, return your funds to you in case of, you know, uh, tough times for that institution. So, but that was pretty much it. And savings accounts, you know, I knew that there were some checking accounts that paid some interest. Um, but yeah, that was, that was basically it. What they did, they were very much anti credit cards okay. uh, coming up. So that there was that too of paying off the full balance uh, within 
not only within the month, I mean, a lot of times my mom, she used the card and like pay it the same day. So she was basically oh. using it like a debit card. Um, but yeah, that would be the extent of my uh, money uh, education or, or knowledge coming up. Mm-hmm. And how about in your household, how did you earn money? Did you have like chores or were you just given money? Because I, I can tell just from conversations with people, their like first experience with money, if they were just always given money when they're like, oh, hey, mom, can I have a 20 to go to the mall versus like having to work for it? Sometimes have a different path and how they deal with their personal finance. So how is that for you? Were you just given the money or did you have to earn it in some type of way? So this is this is one of the most valuable experiences that I had coming up is my dad was an entrepreneur. Uh, he has a furniture reupholstery business in South Carolina. And because of that, the whole family got opportunities to work in my dad's shop. So between him, my mom, uh, my two siblings, we would do work. So I can remember as early as four years old, sweeping the floors of like fabric and uh, staples and different like little nails and screws and things like that, like sweeping them up into, you know, the little dustpan and Mm -hmm. dumping it in the trash. And getting paid to do that, to just keep the workspace of, of others clean. And eventually, as I got older, you know, I was able to do a little bit more within the business. So I can re- actually remember being eight years old and I had made $100 in a week, which it might as well have been a million dollars. Yeah, at eight, that is a lot. <laughs> right. Right. It's a, it's a lot. Um, and you know, for all I know, I probably need to talk to my dad and ask him for all I know, he, he may have, you know, added a little more yeast to it, but knowing Mm -hmm. him, I probably earned it like every dollar of it, you know, (laughs) to get the hundred. Um, but yeah, so for me, I did get to learn, uh, work ethic and diligence through actually earning, uh, at a, at an early age and same for my siblings. Excellent. So how did that, those teachings transfer over once you were out on your own? So when you went to school, had your own place, did those same teachings that your parents started you with your foundation, did that carry over? Oh yeah, absolutely. So I, I had a great appreciation for hard work, uh, just seeing, uh, my dad's diligence and my mom's diligence of, you know, she would, she would work in my dad's shop too and and help him with the business there. And and so I just got to see how, how they did things, which gave me again, great appreciation for, for uh, honest day's work. Um, But one wrinkle that I will say that I also learned on the other end is I saw, I very much appreciated the hard work that my dad did. And yet I also saw, I'm like, Hey, like, how can I make money without having to physically be working? Mm -hmm. And that was a, a dynamic that I 
I knew that I didn't have and and my parents didn't have like a ton of experience with because I mean if we're just being honest man they were just trying to live mm-hmm. coming up and the same for their parents because um, I mean my, my parents were born in the 40s and their parents were born in the late 1800s and early 1900s mm-hmm. if that gives you any context of just what the world was like, especially what America was like at that time. So wasn't a whole lot of uh, free time to just be learning a lot of financial education. It's just, hey, let's work hard. Uh, Let's be generous to others. Let's be faithful people and and do do good work. And we believe we'll be uh, blessed for for doing that, that we'll reap what we sow. and so taking those uh, learnings, but then also kind of adding to it of, okay, is there a way for me to make money even when I'm not having to work for it or make my money work for me? And those bank CDs were scratching that itch for me, mm-hmm. but I knew that I needed to do more than that. I just didn't know how until... I started going out on my own to to find out how to do that. And at, about how old were you when you had that moment when you're like, I don't want to have to work for every dollar that I get. Were you in school or still in high school? Yeah, I would say I would say for real for real that it it landed for me probably around 16. 16. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, mm-hmm. around, you know, sophomore, sophomore, junior year of high school that I was just saying, Hey, there's gotta be a different way to do this. Now I didn't know how, mm-hmm. um, at that moment, but I'm like, there's gotta be a different way to do it. And, and that desire grew, um, as I got older, as I'm in college, I'm like, okay, man, I gotta, I gotta figure some things out and, and was trying to do some different things from an investment standpoint. Um, but I knew, and here's a money quote for you. I knew that I could not save my way to wealth. Mm. I knew that somehow I was going to have to invest if I wanted to be in the space that I wanted to be in. Right. Right. And I'm so glad you say that. Cause I feel like a lot of times, People sometimes think that saving and investing are synonymous, like they're the same. Right. You know, get you to the same point, but it really doesn't. So how did you educate yourself or like what resources did you go after to try to figure out how to start building wealth? So I honestly, the way I started at first was I just would talk to people like, hey, I, I uh I know this is what my desire is. I don't really know how, uh, but I would love some help trying to figure it out. And that that led to me, you know, meeting some people like, hey, you know, maybe you should check out this book or, you know, look at this thing here. Or maybe someone kind of did like a mini mentorship for me uh, to just help me figure some of these things out. Um, because again, I I knew that there'd have to be a different way. And 
this this image just popped in my head. I remember being eight years old and us going on a vacation where we were in a motel. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking, I'm like, I wonder how much the person makes who owns this place. And that was at like eight. You, you know what I mean? Like, and I still was like a regular eight year old <laughs> running around, I promise, like playing, you know, mm-hmm. playing outside basketball and football and baseball and tag and kickball and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I would have these random moments where I'd be like, man, you know, like, you know, we're paying like, you know, 60 or $90 a night. And I see all of these rooms where there's a bunch of people, a bunch of cars in the parking lot that are here. Um, I wonder who is like the owner of this Motel 6 or this, you know, Red Roof Inn or Holiday Inn or Days Inn, you know. Um, but again, I didn't really know how to connect the dots of getting there. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, hopefully that kind of helps frame some of this. Yeah, it definitely does. So you're, you're thinking even at eight years old was still very, very different. I won't say than the typical eight-year-old, but then most eight-year-olds that you were thinking um, so money positive. It seemed like you had a really, really good attitude towards money. Did that still go through college? Did you take on any debt or were you always very aware of staying away from debt when you were out on your own? Yeah. So I, I, I definitely didn't take on any, any debt like it. They, my parents did a good job of of really cementing that in mm-hmm. in my head around hey avoid credit card debt hey you if you can't actually pay for it with the money in your account you cannot afford it like that that was the mentality i had with as far as from the debt standpoint now, one tip I will give on an investing uh, side of things is I I remember doing like a real estate deal when I was in college where, you know, I had like $1,500 that I invested uh, into like a real estate venture uh, with, with a guy that I went to school with. And I really didn't have a whole lot of understanding of how it worked. Mm-hmm. but it just seemed like, man, I'd really make some money off of this. And so I'm, mm-hmm. and I was just really looking to try to kind of think outside of the box and, and $1,500, it was a lot of money, but it wasn't like everything right, right. for me. Uh, it was just a, a reasonable amount uh, for what I had at that time to just see, Hey, can I make this happen and get a great return? Um, it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Um, and one lesson that I learned that it stayed with me for life is don't invest in things you don't understand. Yes. Mm-hmm. And also, um, don't be enamored with trying to get rich quick. Mm-hmm. So thankfully, Thankfully, I didn't do like a huge amount of money in the investment. But again, it was enough to be like, dang, well, that wasn't great. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 right, right, and how it worked out. I'm like, man, you know, yeah. that could have uh, got some other things with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were just some of my experiences uh, coming up uh, through school. So was that like your first experience with doing real estate investing? It, it was. It was like in in, a, in any kind of like real sense. It it was uh, my first time doing something with that, and it was you know really creative uh, uh, in the the concepts of of what was being done. But it just didn't it didn't work out, and I learned a valuable lesson, which was hey, understand what you're investing in understand how the other person makes money and how does this deal generate money as a whole before making your investment because mm-hmm. yeah if, if it sounds too good to be true it it probably is mm-hmm. so how did you get back out there i know a lot of times when people have a negative experience especially when it comes to investing they kind of put a wall up and they don't want to try it again. How did you get back into real estate investing after having that first experience that didn't pan out the way that you thought it would? Uh, well, my my mentality was, hey, this had more to do with my screening process than it had to do with investing in this manner. Okay. So, so like I, I, I knew people made money doing real estate investing. And so I'm like, hey, that's just more so on me or an analogy that I'll use is um, if I go to a restaurant and I have a bad experience and the food doesn't taste good, it doesn't mean I'm going to stop eating out altogether. Mm-hmm. It just means I may not go back to that restaurant right, right. when I go eat out. So that was kind of my mentality to say, no, I'm going to still get back in the game and, and, and see where I can build. Mm -hmm. So what were you doing after, after school, once you graduated, were you still doing real estate investing, um, general investing? What were you doing at that point? So what I ended up doing is coming out of school, I, I, Gotten a, I had a job that had a 401k, so it had a you know, work retirement plan. And at this time, just to kind of frame this, the context, it was in the midst of the Great Recession. Okay. And so, I at this point, I you know I'd read some books, I had some understanding just in general about investing. But the climate was such that it's like, oh, man, it is horrible out here. The market is terrible and it just keeps going down. And I could remember. I could remember quotes like from a Warren Buffett of, hey, when others are fearful, be greedy. When when others are greedy, be fearful, Um, which I'm not necessarily promoting greed. It's just more of a mentality of being counterintuitive on on when to make moves or there was like this movie called inside man that has denzel washington in it Mm -hmm. and i don't even remember if the movie was good or not but there's a part (laughs) in it where 
uh, a person who uh, I don't want to spoil the movie, but I'll just say someone in there says when there's blood in the streets, buy property. And Mm -hmm. so in my simple mind at that time in my 20s, I'm just like, okay, if things are as bad in the market as what they say it is, then I'm really going to invest and just take my chances mm-hmm. and see how things go. And so, you know, I'm maxing out my 401k and getting the match and all that kind of stuff and just saying, hey, let's just see what happens. Um, and I wasn't as concerned if it kept going down because I'm like, oh, well, you know, I guess I'll just be buying more of this stuff. And if it just comes back to what it used to be, I'm going to be really happy with the result. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was kind of my my thought process. So, you know, I started with the stock market stuff mm-hmm. and I got back towards doing real estate investing uh, back in like late 09 and in 2010. Okay. So how did your, I'm just trying to paint the picture. So how did your lifestyle look in order for you to um, send most of your money into your retirement accounts, into real estate investing? How did your lifestyle look? So my mentality was when, when I had walked across the stage from college, which I'm a Clemson grad, go Tigers. Hopefully we have won the uh, college football playoff by the time you guys are hearing this. But (laughs) anyhow, so um, when I had walked across the stage uh, at graduation, my nicest piece of furniture was a futon. Okay. That was in my room um, or in my, you know, like apartment. And so I'm like, hey, just because I have a full-time job and, and, and have a, a, you know, a pretty good income, it doesn't mean that I have to have amazing furnishings or state-of-the-art television uh, or, you know, it's probably like a flip phone at that point, you know, like a right. Nokia. Like <laughs> right. I'd be like, man, I got a, I got the newest BlackBerry, you know, <laughs> and uh, make sure you call me after 9 p.m. You know, what I mean, right. night, free nights and weekends. Not a minute before. <laughs> right, right. Not a minute before for the people who are in the age range of us. You'll remember mm-hmm. that. Um, so my thought was, hey, I don't have to elevate my way of living just because now I'm making a lot more because it's just me. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to keep moseying along and I don't need a whole lot to to live. So I'm just going to do a little bit of that delayed gratification and, and let's see how things turn out. Mm-hmm. And clearly they turned out very well. So <laughs> um, <laughs> you're, the, you're a first generation millionaire in your family. What does that mean to you to reach that at such a young age? Man, it, it for me, it's it's several things. It's uh, answer prayer for of those who came before me. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's generational wealth for those that come after me. It's being able to encourage and 
and possibly even in, inspire those that are walking alongside me uh, in in life today. Mm-hmm. So I, I've always kind of had a big picture kind of view on things with life. And I'm incredibly humbled to be in this space. Um, I would, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm shocked that I'm here. Um, but, but I I didn't necessarily expect to be here either. I just, uh, wanted to put some tried and true, uh, strategies together and, and I just felt that I'd be in a good spot to win. And, and obviously it went really well. Yeah. So what were those tried and true strategies that you think allowed you to get to where you are today? I know for sure one of them is consistency. Yes. Um, but what are, what are some other strategies that you think really helped you along the way? So it was to, in, first off, you know, live within my means, um, invest early and often, mm-hmm. and as much as I could to try to automate things. Mm, okay. So the, the once, once I set in on, Hey, these are the things that I want to do, then just try to set it up in a way to where it just happens almost like a bill, but it just happens that I'm paying myself mm-hmm. on that bill. Um, so, you know, I could just say, Oh man, you know, I have to pay the stack foundation this month, you know, um, and so that was kind of the, the, the thought process behind, uh, get, getting going. So mm-hmm. I love that. I'm still in that. I'm going to start paying the Lee foundation. Cause yeah, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <Some help. laughs> right. And be like, man, the Lee foundation needs this money. Right. <laughs> you know? I love that. That's awesome. So another goal that you've accomplished is paying off your house in three years, which is like mind blowing. Can you kind of talk about that journey? What even, um, like, how did that even turn into a goal for you? Was the goal three years? Was it five years? How did you reach that? Yeah. So the, the goal was five. And so the thought process was even going into searching for a home, I was thinking along the lines of, I'm going to pay this off. So, so I, I already was thinking about knocking it out in the, in the home searching slash home buying process is w- whatever I'm looking to get, I, I intend to pay it off. Um, which that also said, okay, do a 15 year mortgage versus a 30 mm-hmm. to start eating at that principal right out of the gate and it, it you know gives you a cheaper cheaper rate to uh, interest rate and then just some of the motivation behind it at that point in time because uh, purchased the house in 2015 and ended up paying it off in 2018 some of the thought process behind it was if the house is paid off then it's a whole new level of freedom. Like just 
like, you know, there's people who will do like hashtags or, or things there's like, you know, thank God it's Monday. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of more from a, hey, you know, because I'm, I'm ready to grind. I'm ready to go. You know, I'm, I'm excited about doing it. And, and there's some merit to that. Um, when I'm saying, thank God it's Monday, it hits different coming into work knowing I do not have to be here. Yeah. I couldn't imagine. <laughs> right. Sounds amazing. <laughs> right. Right. To just be like, man, I am truly choosing to work here. Mm-hmm. I could do something different. Like I could get a job at a rec center and be able to pay for the family's expenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, now there'd be less to spare. Um, but that's just a different type of freedom and flexibility being in that space. And so in my mind, uh, the goal was to have it paid off by May of 2020. And it ended up happening a lot sooner than that. Mm-hmm. So when so, you were in the home buying, home searching process, you weren't looking at homes based off of how much you were pre-approved for, you were looking at homes based off of what you could pay off in that five-year window? Correct. Correct. And like even that, for, for the listeners, that can be a freeing shift of mindset in looking at a home. Because the reality is a home can be amazing. After a bit of time, you're going to get used to it. It's just going to be home. Mm-hmm. You know, like you get used to your surroundings, your space, and that mortgage is still there. Uh, so if it's, if you're good with what you're paying, then great. And, you know, I would say, you know, God bless you. And that's awesome. Um, but coming into it with a mentality that says, okay, this is the amount that I want to allot towards a place of residence that could knock this thing out in half Mm -hmm. a decade. Well, then that kind of shifted the, the thought process of, of getting, getting the home. And it also, it also said, okay, we'll try to look for, Homes, because at this point, by 2015, I had definitely done a lot of stuff with real estate. I had done house flips and, you know, rental properties and things like that. So I wasn't afraid of a property that needed some work. Okay. You know, so bought bought one that it definitely needed some work, but it wasn't really super major things. So that that helped in being able to get a little bit better by. Mm-hmm. And then being able to knock it out. And it's appreciated. Uh, I mean, it's almost doubled now, the, the home value. So so yeah. how did you not get swept up into like the house fever of seeing like these different homes and like the features that you can add on? How did you like keep your mind focused on without getting swept up into like all the extra stuff? Because I was beginning with the end in mind. Oh, okay. So my, my mentality was, is is the gorgeous uh designer kitchen with 
uh, granite or marble countertops and, and, you know, just all, you know, of the bells and whistles. Is it worth my financial freedom and flexibility? And I didn't think it was at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can tell you that I'm very happy with the decisions that were made at that time for where I am today. Because now if I want to, oh, you could could turn around and go get that type of home now. um, If, if I so choose. Um, But that little delay in gratification, it was well worth it. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So before I let you go, you've already dropped so many different keys, financial keys on us already, but just based on your journey thus far of paying off your home so quickly, becoming a first generation millionaire and also already instilling like money talks into your children, can you leave us some financial keys of what you feel like has really assisted you this thus far on your journey? Sure. So I'll, I'll give, I'll give four, I'll give four financial keys. So number one, I would say make a monthly specific budget, Mm -hmm. meaning that the month of January is going to have different uh, expenses or items or things that you may want to do in it than July or December or March, or you name the different months. So make a monthly specific budget. That's number one. Number two, pay yourself first. So Uncle Sam or the IRS, he doesn't trust us. They're getting their money off the top. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, you know, Ashley, I think you're a nice person, but I don't trust you. I'm taking my taxes right off the top. Right. Um, think in the same way of paying the Lee Foundation or paying uh, the Stack Foundation or insert your last name uh, in paying yourself first. Um, and I encourage you to, to number three would be to automate that process. So even if you don't have a ton of money that you can uh, put aside towards saving and investing, start start with something that that makes sense. And and if you're if you're paying down debt, you can you can put that in the bucket of you're 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 knocking down uh, these liabilities. So there's there's that. And the final thing that I would say is look for opportunities to be a giver. Mm, I love so that mm-hmm. I think that's really important. And just for the listeners, what I would say is, especially if you're, you're in the grind and you're, you're feeling exasperated uh, or possibly even burnt out, uh, giving can be an amazing antidote to feeling worn out in your financial journey. Because it reminds you that the world doesn't revolve around you, or, or in my case, it doesn't revolve around me. Um, and it truly is better to give than to receive. There's something beautiful about being able to help others. And you never know, the, the giving you may do may be the, the seed that you sow to reap the very thing you're looking for 
in your own Mm -hmm. circumstances. Mm -hmm. So I'll recap that. Number one, make a monthly specific budget. Number two, pay yourself first. Number three, automate, automate. So automate the savings slash investing. And then number four, give or be a giver. Excellent. So we need to do all four of those because we are speaking with a first generation millionaire and someone that has just crushed it from six on up. So thank you so much for those financial keys. But before I let you go, I always do a quick rapid fire round of questions. So are you ready for those? As ready as I'll ever be. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the first one is, what is your favorite personal finance book? I'm going to go with The Millionaire Next Door. Okay, that's a good one. What is your favorite sports team? Clemson. Clemson Tigers. I'm going with my my alma mater. Yeah. (laughs) And what is the last goal that you've achieved? Ooh, um, it was finishing the book, actually. That that was was really... Uh, the big one. And my daughter's actually a co-author on the book too. So she's an author too. So mm-hmm. she's the, the rock star of the family. Of eight years old. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. So she's That's the rock funny. star of the family. So yeah. That's great. And then the last question is, what are you looking forward to the most in 2021? If the pandemic uh, subsides, vacation, being able to yeah. travel, that would be amazing. <laughs> Did you have something or a particular country destination at the top of your list? Oh, man. Uh, that I mean, see, I've had I've had almost a year to think about this now. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, For me, it like, changes every day depending right. on like my mood. Like, sometimes I want to be in a cold place, warm place. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, there's there's many places. There's many places. Uh, I mean, I'd love to get out to Spain. I think that'd be really mm-hmm. fun. Uh, the Caribbean always treats me well. If we're saying, you know, stateside, I, I enjoy visiting uh, like Los Angeles and mm-hmm. uh, New York City. Got a lot of a lot of friends in, in those towns. And um, yeah, I mean, I that's that's I mean, you're, you're trying to ask me a really hard hitting question with that one of where, <laughs> where I'd like to go, but yeah, a lot mm-hmm. of places. Yeah. Anywhere, which is, <laughs> that's where I'm right. anywhere, but here. <laughs> right, right, right. I've never been to Cuba. That, that's another place I'd love to go yes, as well. Yes, yes, yes. I was actually supposed to do a cruise there, but um, that was canceled, but that was actually not because of Corona, but something that Trump changed, but. That's a different yeah. story for a different yeah. day. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. I do remember mm-hmm. it opened and it shut real quick. Yep. Yeah, uh, of course, that. a day late and a dollar short. So I missed it, but hopefully they <laughs> open it back up. <laughs> right, right, right. Thank you so much, Stephen, for your time. So before I let you go, can you let everyone know where they can find you and um, where they can also find your book as well? Yeah. Uh, so you can find me from, uh, on social media. You can find me on Facebook or Instagram. The handle is just at stacking with stack. That's at stacking with stack. You can find me on, on there. I like to share things to just encourage people, uh, in their well wealth building journey from a holistic standpoint. Um, and as far as the book, uh, so you could find that in the link in my bio, but you can also just type in gumroad.com slash stacking with stack. That's gumroad.com 
slash stacking with stack. And you'll see the book right there. Simple money talks. Excellent. So I'll make sure to link all of that information below in the episode description. Definitely pick up the book. Um, it's def- it's a quick read, but it's a good read. And it's definitely things that you can implement as soon as you put it down um, with your children. So I definitely advise everyone to pick up the book. Again, Stephen, thank you so much for your time and all of the gems that you dropped on us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. And sincerely, thank you so much for having me on. It really was a pleasure. Uh, I hope we can do it again. This was so fun. Yes, yes. So there'll there'll be a part two for sure. (laughs) There's still so many questions I have for you. So we'll definitely have to jump back on and do a part two. For sure. For sure. I love it. All right. Great. As you all can see, Stephen is just a wealth of knowledge and the poster child of building generational wealth. We hear about it all the time. People throw around that word, but he is actually living it, breathing it, doing it. I might as well call this episode part one because I know we didn't even scratch the surface on other topics that I would love to speak with him on. So you all will be seeing Stephen again very, very soon. We will be doing a part two. But before we go, I just want to say to all of the parents out there, first and foremost, kudos. I don't know how you all are doing it with this virtual learning and working at the same time. So I definitely tip my hat off to you all. But I hope this episode empowers you to either start or continue having money conversations with your kids. Just like Stephen mentioned earlier in the episode, these don't have to be anything long or drawn out. You can make them very, very simple. And Stephen's book is an excellent resource to get you started. You can purchase it through the link that I provided below. So again, thank you all for listening. Stay blessed and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode, but there's one more key I want to leave with you before you go. Did you know that this podcast is a success because of you? Yes, you. When you engage and share an episode, it helps others just like you find this podcast. So if you haven't already, please subscribe. And if you have an extra minute, I would love it if you could leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you soon. Same time, same place.